last week. And I believe that we are on the bottom of page four on the old study guide. If you don't have a study guide, I have a few extras left over. And if you want them, you can come down and grab them. If you want them. Anybody need one? We all good? Do you have one? You have one. But you want an extra one? <laughs> Would you mind handing one of those to Kelly? She's she's being greedy for some reason. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Fold it up and put it under an uneven chair leg. Oh. Okay. So um so we'll be on the bottom of page four, I believe, at the very, very bottom. Okay, so let's uh let's uh let me do a summary to get us up to speed to where we're at in the lesson. Um, last week I spoke about a threefold purpose of uh the epistle of first John that John is writing. And uh, the first purpose of uh, John's epistle is to warn against the uh, seducers, the false prophets, the antichrists, uh, those men who are inspired by the spirit of error that have infiltrated the church. So he wants to warn he wants to warn these believers against these men. First John two twenty six, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So that's pretty clear, that's pretty apparent. Uh, Paul also warned of seducers as well. If you remember back in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, when he was speaking to the elders of Ephesus who came to meet him, I believe, on that beach uh, that day, he said in verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So, uh, so Paul, even Paul warned about these grievous wolves. And in every church age, if you um, look in uh, Revelations, the book of the Revelations, according to Jesus Christ, if you look at the first three chapters, um, the church from its inception has had to deal with these uh, grievous wolves in one way or another. And um, as I mentioned, the spirit of error has been very diligent in um, in uh, in um, trying to disrupt the church doctrinally, trying to disrupt the church in its fellowship with the Lord, and um, it's just had uh, a, a horrific, a horrific influence upon the church down through the ages. And as we get closer and closer to the rapture, uh, you're going to find that uh, those antichrists are going to be are going to become bolder, more influential, as the the church uh, turns more and more lukewarm towards the things of God. The second thing that uh, we I mentioned is that uh, he also wrote to assure 
the believers, the sons of God, concerning their faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3.19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. And honestly, guys, uh, the, the issue of assurance in these latter days of the church age are going to become critical. Because it's, it's going to grow darker and darker and darker. And so uh, we need to have this insurance as these antichrists, these false teachers, have more and more influence upon the church and more and more people are unwittingly led astray from the light. So we need to we need to be assured about these things that, that we have preserved for us in the Word of God. We need to be assured about those things that are uh, concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because even in the church, guys, even in the so-called professed church, there are teachers that are teaching that Jesus Christ is not divine, that Jesus Christ may not be the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is some other person. Okay, so even in the church it's being taught. So this is going to be very, very critical for us. And then the third thing is that he is admonishing, and that's what we're looking at, admonishing the we. He's admonishing the sons of God concerning their position and possession as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, it will be a time, uh, well it is a time, it's not going to will be, it is a be, it is be, is that correct? <laughs> it is a time now, I know, I, I butcher my mother tongue all the time. But it is a time where people are starting to let these vital things go. They, they are. They're starting to let them slip away. Uh, the church is becoming more and more distracted about things that really have no genuine internal value, uh, have no impact upon God's uh, mission for the church. And so the admonition to hold fast to these things that are of eternal importance is, is crucial for us. Not only as individual believers, but as a local New Testament church. It is crucial for us to hang on to those things and not let them slip, as Paul talks about in the book of Hebrews. Uh, so with this in mind, what I want to talk about as far as admonishing the we, is I want to talk about the coming rapture of the church. I want to talk about the coming rapture of the church. Not so much proving the rapture of the church or when the rapture of the church is going to happen, such as what is it? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There's all sorts of theories out there. Do you have a date? Huh? Do you have a date? I don't even have a date. So that's not, that's not my intention. But what I want you to focus on is the rapture itself and what condition will I be in when that occurs? See, a lot of us don't even think about that. A lot of us don't even think about that. Uh, the, um, you know, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, 
In Luke 17, 26 through 30, he says, and, and, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So life goes on, right? Life goes on, totally unaware, totally oblivious to the signs. Totally oblivious to the signs. The Apostle Paul also mentioned this, uh, about this in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. He talked about those perilous times to come. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, this is the, this is the topic of the, of the rapture at the end of the church age. You know, t- uh, Paul taught about that time. When, it, when it's getting close for the rapture. He says here in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and starting in verse 5, he's admonishing the children of light. He says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That's his admonition to the church during these times. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunk in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul is admonishing the church, especially us, who is at the latter end of the church age, he says, come on, guys, let's watch and be sober. Let's watch and be sober. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think many of God's people are watching or are sober. Um, in fact, I think many of God's people look at the rapture as an escape from a world that is going to hell in a handbasket, pardon my language. You know, they do. They look at it as an escape. Like Noah and the Ark, or perhaps more apt to our age, like Lot from Sodom who reluctantly left it all behind. And it is. It is. It is It is a deliverance. It is, in a sense, an escape. Uh, contrary to what many are beginning to believe, um, the church is not appointed to wrath. The church will not see uh, the seven-year tribulation of Daniel's 70th week. I do not believe that. I do not believe the Scripture teaches that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took upon himself our the wrath of God for us. So the church, the true church, the born-again believing church, is not going to go through the tribulation period. So, yes, in one aspect, the rapture is a, is a deliverance of the true church. The born-again believers that make up the bride of Christ from that time of Jacob's trouble, that period of time that the Old Testament prophets talk about that the Jews would pass through, not the church, but the Jews would pass through. 
There's an interesting passage in Isaiah 57.1 that says, The righteous perish, and no man layeth the heart, and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Now, in that tribulation period, there is a remnant that will be preserved, that will be protected. Okay, there will be a remnant that will be protected. Coupled with this, Peter wrote about the righteous in 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So the righteous are going to be, you know, they're going to be out of that. But the wicked, they're going to be right smack dab in the middle of it. Okay? Uh, so again, my intention is not to give the proofs of the rapture or when the rapture is, but what I want to present to us is something that we need to consider about the rapture. A characteristic of every dispensation in the Bible is that every dispensation in the Bible has ended in failure of some sort. Failure of responsibility for the stewardship of that dispensation. And it's no different for the church. It's no different for the church. Even though we are to comfort one another with these words, as Paul says in First Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the snatching away of the church, which is the Greek word harpezo, that means to snatch away eagerly for oneself. So our bridegroom on that day is going to snatch away his bride eagerly for himself in the rapture. That will occur. That will occur. But at the same time, it is a form of judgment upon the church. The rapture is a form of judgment upon the church for its failure and its stewardship with the gospel. See, we're focused on other things as a church in general. We're focused on other things. We're not focused on what we should be focused on. So that's our failure. 1 Peter 4.17-19 through says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now who is the house of God? We are. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, this is my opinion and my opinion only, guys, okay? So don't go running to Brian saying, Jeff taught this heresy. This is just an opinion. I remember when I was first saved seeing this picture of all these people being raptured out of airplanes and stuff. And I mean, the sky was filled with people being raptured. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe not so many people will be raptured that at first I thought. There may not be that many. There may not be that many. You see, tragically, so many of the Laodicean church, now that's just my opinion, 
Okay? That's just my opinion. Because so many of the Laodicean church have fallen asleep. They've become distracted. They're not watching. They become content to be mere spectators. Like a show is being put on for them. And they're being entertained. There's a lukewarmness due to the lack of biblical discernment. Uh, The church in general today believe themselves alive and well, considering themselves a spiritually rich church, but really they're not. They're not. Revelations 3 tells them that they are poor and destitute and wretched and miserable. So the church, and I'm talking the church in general is not in, in as good of a shape as they believe it is, that she believes she is. You know, Paul, um, Jesus said that the Laodicean church is lukewarm. This is a, the tepid condition of the soul of the church that fluctuates between cold and hot, between indifference and passion, between zeal and apathy for the things of God. They get all excited about, you know, whatever whips their emotions up, but when you talk to them about missions, or you talk to them about going out and and witnessing on this, you know, taking it to the streets, there seems to be no interest. There's no interest for the souls of men. There's an apathy. There's an apathy. An apathy for things that are important to God. The Laodicean church today is either cold toward personal holiness or hot towards personal liberty and license. You know? Lukewarm toward the commission and the mission that Christ gave to the church. Gold. Psalms 19.9. He says, Go out and buy gold. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. What the scholars proffer today concerning the word of God is nothing more than a gilded, inferior work of man's opinion. That's all it is. Well, I think what God really meant here, or really what was the intention here, don't give me that. You give me the Word of God. And that's what we have in the KJV. So if anybody makes fun of you as far as holding to the KJV, feel sorry for them. Because all they have is a cheap imitation. White raiment, Psalms 132.9, Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. Are we not priests? Yeah, we are. We are priests and kings. But the thing is, is as long as we're spiritual, we really don't need to be godly. Yeah, we do. We really do. I solve... Or salve. 
John 19.11, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. You see, the Laodicean church needs to wash the clay of this world out of their eyes. And they need to put their eyes back on Jesus Christ instead of themselves. They need to open up their eyes to a world that is lost and is going to hell and not be enamored by the vanities and the shiny stuff of the world. Mark 16, Mark 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for your for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. There will your heart be also. That to me sometimes is a convicting verse. Because I have to ask myself, okay, where is where really is 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 my treasure? Where really is my treasure? You see, the church, and when I, you guys understand what I'm saying when I'm saying the church. I'm talking about what what's out there. Okay, so I'm not picking on anybody in here. All right, if you feel picked on, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, not me. Okay. I mean, you ought to try studying this stuff, much less hearing it. A lot of times I go, oh, me. (laughs) You know? So the church is busy gathering stuff that will rust and perish instead of laying up for herself that which never perishes. Souls of men. That which brings eternal glory, not only to herself, but more importantly to who? To her Savior. To her Lord and Savior. Come on. I sound like Biden. Come on, man. Look at what's going on. Is that really going to give glory to God? Or or who's really getting the glory? So on your study guide, here's your first... Here's your first blank on the very bottom of the page. Where the other church periods face opposition and persecution from the outside, that's your word, we live in a period where the threat is the they on the inside that John is addressing. So outside and they. The next blank is we live in an age of complacency. No sense of urgency, no willingness to sacrifice. Focused upon our rights more so than what is right. Now again, I'm not picking on anybody in here. I'm just talking about the general atmosphere, environment, attitude of the, of the church. Focused. Complacency and focused. Jude verse 4 says, For there there are certain men crept in unawares. 
who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the they. Those are the they. I guess that's okay. Those are the they. Okay, these these have crept in unawares. Why? How? How have they crept in unawares? Because the church is undiscerning. Because the church is willing to accept any that speak self-affirmation and spiritual speak rather than pure Bible. That's how come they've crept in unawares. 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned on to fables. You know, one of our dogs um, always wanted us to rub its ear. And the harder we rubbed, the better it liked it. Alright? And um, this got us to wondering, okay, what's going on here? So we examined, and what we found out is he had a yeast infection down inside of his ear. And when we rubbed it, it felt good because we were itching his ear. So we had to treat it. And so we treated it, and we killed the yeast infection, and, and now he's okay. This is the condition of, of many in the church today. They want their ears rubbed. They want their egos rubbed. They want their emotions stroked. Why? Because they have a spiritual yeast infection that needs to be dealt with due to the spiritual leaven of the false teachers that they like to listen to. That tickle their egos and their intellects and their feelings and their emotions. But when you have a preacher come along that preaches God's unleavened truth, the only cure for yeast and spiritual yeast infection of the ears, they don't like to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it. Jude mentioned lasciviousness. The word, the actual word lasciviousness, unless I counted wrong, appears six times in the Bible. Six is the number of who? Of what? Man. What exactly does that word mean? I'm getting ready to tell you. I'm getting ready to tell you. When the sensuous nature is permitted to run the show, lasciviousness is sure to flow. Okay? When the sensuous nature is permitted to run the show, lasciviousness is sure to flow. This, the particular Greek word translated lasciviousness, according to Strong's, appears nine times. Nine is the number of what? Fruit or fruit bearing. Could it be that the Laodicean church age... Lasciviousness is the fruit of that church? Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. So, lasciviousness. On your study guide. The prominent idea of this word is shameless conduct. 
an absence of restraint of one's passions and wants, an open display of excess. Shameless conduct, open display of excess. In Mark 7.22, it is mentioned as one of the evils that proceed from the human heart is the blank. Mark 7.21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness. In 2 Corinthians 12.21, it is one of the fleshly evils. That's your blank that some in the Corinthian church were practicing. 1 Corinthians 12.10, For I fear least when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. You know, he's bringing that cure for spiritual yeast infection. Least there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and least when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and then I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness of fornication and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. So clearly the believers in the Corinthian church, there were some believers in the Corinthian church where this lasciviousness was something they were doing. Characterize them. Characterize them. This unbridled appetite, this doing whatever, you know, whatever the passions want you to do. If it feels good, do it. Type of mentality. Oh yeah, for everybody to watch and see. That's their liberty. And there are, there are so many Christians that, oh, I gotta be careful here. So many Christians who flaunt Christian liberty and it's nothing more than license. Yeah, I can. Um, if you're a Facebooker, uh, we had uh, some brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, prominent Christians, on their Facebook page would show themselves sitting there with a bottle of beer or a glass of wine in their hands. Now, I don't mean to be a stickler about things, but that causes me to cringe because I know that there are other brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with that very thing. And Paul teaches me... uh, if it causes my brother to stumble, then I will abstain from eating meat so that my brother wouldn't stumble. So these prominent Christians, because of their exercising of their liberty, may cause those who are weak in the conscience or dealing with this, saying, hey, well, so-and-so is doing it, and they're a big shot in the church, so that means it's okay for me to do it. That's just one example. Just one example. So have you heard the saying, he who has the most toys wins? Yeah. Does that fall into that? I, yeah, that's, that's more covetousness than lasciviousness. So instead of temperance, there's excess. Okay. Um, Galatians 5.19, lasciviousness is among the group of the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit being in control of a believer's life. Galatians 5.19, I'm sorry, that's a blank contrast. <laughs> okay. 
Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. In Ephesians uh, 4.19, it speaks of the unregenerate who have given themselves over to sensuous passions. Is the blank of their fallen nature. Ephesians 4.18 through 20, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God to the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So he's speaking of, of lost men and women who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So anything goes. Verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ, is what he says. So he's talking to Christians when he says that. That's not to be you. You guys have been delivered from that. You've been saved. That's not to be you. And I included Paul's admonition here in verse 20 because even believers, I don't care how old you say you are in the Lord, even believers have potential to revert back to this sensuous lifestyle that is so predominant in the spirit of this church age. You know, Paul warns those who have learned about Christ to to, to guard against this. He says in Romans 13, 12 through 14, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Remember, we're getting ready to study about God as light here. So all of this is, is priming the pump, if you will. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, if the night was far spent and the day was at hand in Paul's day, yeah, how much closer are we? How much closer are we? Personally, I think we're pretty close. We're pretty close. I think, um, well, again, this is my opinion, but, you know, I would, I'm thinking we're going to hear that archangel blast, that trumpet, pretty soon. Maybe not. But kind kind of neat to think about it, isn't it? Again, where will my heart be when that happens? So on your worksheet, we must put on the armor of light and not make provision for our sensuous natures to gain the upper hand. And yet, this will be an earmark of the Laodicean church age. If you pay attention to what's going on, folks, it's almost like anything goes. Second Timothy 3, 4 says, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Again, one may ask how, you know, Jude warns us, how, how do these guys get inside the church? Could it be that the men, that these type of men and women feel comfortable in the church due to the spiritual condition of the church today? It's like that old, um, 
the illustration of the pot of the frog in the pot. You slowly turn the heat up. The frog sits in that water. The water gets warmer and warmer, and then finally the frog flips over on its back because it's boiling. That's many. That's like many in the church today. They don't realize the temperature of the water is increasing. Of all the church ages we happen to live in, we live in the one that turns God's stomach. So I have a little illustration of a man there. It's not a very pretty picture, but... Revelation 3.16 says, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's just a polite way of saying I'm going to puke you out. The spirit of the Laodicean church leaves a bad taste in God's mouth. Okay, now again, um, he's not speaking about individual, individual born-again believers. He's talking about the general spirit of the Laodicean church age. He's talking about the attitude and the atmosphere, the heart, if you will, of the Laodicean church age. That's what he's talking about. He says, although you're saved... Um, you're trusting more in your material blessings and you're more concerned about your status in life. You're more about promoting your rights over my will. Um, you have no heart for my mission that I've saved you for. You have no love for my word that I have preserved for you. Um, you don't see a need for personal godliness. Nor do you really desire my fellowship. Remember? The Laodicean church age is the one that has Jesus, what? Knocking on the door. The Laodicean style church is a church trying to carry on in its own power and its own cleverness and its own wisdom. I remember going to um, business meetings when I used to work for a living. And they would have all of these business principles laid out. And then I would go to a church meeting. And those very same business principles was being used by the pastors. I don't know who stole from who. The Laodicean church style is trying to run a heavenly institution after an earthly manner. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We're all into the entertainment. We're all into the big light show. We're all into this. We're all into that. Do I sound like a curmudgeon? (laughs) This is the church of the closed door. You know, it's funny they use that in witnessing the Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the church of the closed door. Jesus is on the outside knocking, wanting to come in, but the Laodicean church doesn't want Jesus in. They're comfortable with Jesus on the outside of the door. 
I hear you knock and yeah, I saw you back there. <laughs> but you know what? There is hope. There is light even in this age of blindness. Because God always, always, always has His remnant. We want to be that remnant. We want to be that remnant. There are a great many sound local Bible-believing church bodies that are holding fast to the church, that are involved in missions. They have the Philadelphian church age heart. We want to be that kind of church. And these types of churches have a promise given to them because of that heart. Revelation 3.10, speaking of the Philadelphian church, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I believe he's talking about the rapture right there. So it will be the Philadelphian heart church that I believe will be raptured, but the Laodicean church will be spewed out. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to be a Philadelphian-like church. That's why we need to watch and pray so we don't get swept up into the spirit of this age. We individually as members need to watch and pray so that we can keep this church a church that prays and watches. You understand what I'm saying? The body is only as healthy as the members. Tragically, the church at large is not a very pretty picture. What we are seeing is a failure in our stewardship. And what John is regarding as far as the we has, has nothing for the they, the Antichrist and the false teachers. He's speaking to the we, to us, to those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who have been delivered from the power of darkness. We are to live for a greater purpose than material wealth and prosperity. Currently, we live in the last part of the church's history, the Laodicean church age. So on your study guide, there's the fellow there with the dollar sign across his face, I think. The danger that we who live in the Laodicean church age... I hear everybody rustling rustling their papers. What do we contend with? It is a church that does not realize its true condition is the blank because it is not walking in the light as he is in the light but rather is walking in darkness of their own creation is the blank. Because the church has not kept his word and have denied his name. I believe that's your next blanket. Am I correct? 
Okay, good. So I'm still on the right page. No? There's several of us yes. that did yes. not get... On the bottom of page 5, it says the first mention of the words to I apologize. Let me go back. When you said you didn't say you're blank. Have I gotten there yet? Oh, here it is. Yep, gotcha. All right, so on your work, on your study guide, I got ahead of myself. The first mention of the, of the word spew found in the Bible is in reference to the idolatrous nations. That the children of Israel were to drive from the promised land under Joshua's leadership along with the admonition to Israel to not become like those nations. Okay, so idolatrous nations and admonition. Leviticus 18.26 and 28 says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation or any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also, when ye defile it, as it is spewed out the, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. That's the first mention of the word spew. Connected with idolatry. And to me it's interesting that in John's first epistle, the very last verse in his epistle is this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. God showed John something there. You see, the church in America today is an idolatrous church. It's estimated that 40% of the 1,600 or so megachurches in America preach a prosperity gospel. 40%. And that God does not intend to have poor children. And if you are such, then one, you either don't have enough faith, or two, you are out of God's will. What a horrible burden to place upon a church. People who are struggling to meet, to make ends meet. They're being good stewards with what God has provided, but yet they're out of God's will because they don't live in a $25 million mansion like their pastor lives in. That's, you know what my opinion about that is? That's what it is. What a horrific thing to preach. You know, these big, huge congregations, and we know what we're talking about here, they're huge congregations. Are taught by by their pastor to pray for God to materially prosper them. What about the fields that are white on the harvest? Why aren't those pastors praying that these, their congregation get out in those fields? Churches expend great resources to build huge campuses with the latest in technology and comforts. We want to make sure you've got a soft seat for your delicate tushy. Now, 
They, they, they spend huge sums to these monuments. And if you remember when Lance was uh, giving us a, um, a financial report, I don't remember the exact number, but he was talking about these huge, less than, what was it he said, less than 2% for missions? I think is what he said. There's something wrong. Something wrong somewhere. And I think Brian mentioned it. Uh, the prosperity gospel is the fastest growing denomination sweeping across this planet right now. Africa, Latin America, the Pacific realm. It's closed its doors to Jesus Christ. It's rejected the record that God had given of his son. And now its doors, instead of being closed to Jesus Christ, its doors are now open to these avaricious preachers. Do any of our missionaries ever mention that? that, that oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is one of their biggest... Cha- their two biggest challenges on the field is the Pentecostal movement and the prosperity gospel. And if you notice, the prosperity gospel and the Pentecostal movement are intertwined. It's almost hand in glove. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is their biggest obstacle is this prosperity gospel and the Pentecostal movement. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's it's a sham. It's a terrible sham. Second Timothy uh, four three for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts that's the appeal of the prosperity gospel. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall not, and shall be turned on to fables. That's what's being preached, folks, is fables. Empty promises. Empty promises. Thank you for bringing that up about the spewing. We don't want to be that. That's not us. I don't want to identify with that. Call me a curmudgeon. I don't care. But I don't want to stand before my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at the rapture with that on my record. That's why we seek out uh, like-minded churches and like-minded missionaries. Uh, You know, Brian... You know, he gets, he gets all of these requests from all of these missionaries and, and ministries. And praise God for a discerning pastor. Praise God for a discerning pastor. So, in closing, I've ranted and raved long enough. <laughs> The modern Gnosticism of our age tells us that we are rich and have need of nothing. That we are not blind. But in fact, the more enlightened by their teachings and their scholarship and programs and their music and their many Bibles and all the while they preach another gospel, sell us another record and introduce to us another Jesus. The charge to those who know the truth is that we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the only safe place to be. For it is only in his light 
that we have true fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? Did I upset anybody? Too bad. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not that hard. I'm not that hard. Curmudgeon. <laughs>